Well, good day. I'm Mark Sylvester, ambassador of 805 Connect and your host for this 805 Conversation, where we talk to fascinating people you'll want to know better. Our show is sponsored by California Lutheran University's School of Management and Tolman and & Weicker Insurance Services. Thanks to them both for their support and encouragement. And thanks to our podcasting partner, Pull String Press, for this great studio. And Patrick's not with me today. Oh, we're going to miss Patrick's great questions. However, today we do have a fantastic guest, uh, Terry Thompson. Terry, good morning. Good morning, Mark. I am so thrilled to have been introduced to you by um, Gerhardt, who's the Dean of the School of Management, who's been on the show before. I know you have a relationship with um, California Lutheran. Tell, tell me about that. What do you do for those folks? Yes, uh, and I do thank you for inviting me here, Mark, and for uh, Dr. Gerhard Aptaler's uh, connection. Um, I'm a marketer and social media uh, consultant during the day, and at night I put on my adjunct professor cape, and I uh, work with uh, California Lutheran University, and that's my connection to Gerhardt, and I teach social media marketing to grad students over there. So social media marketing is my class that I teach at Cal Lutheran, and then by virtue of that relationship with the school, I also teach internationally and teach executives in Austria and Europe each year of marketing theory and use an element of social media marketing in that too. I noticed as I was reading about the international social media, and I mean, I want to get into all things social, but if you were to give me the main difference between social in Europe and social in the United States, what are the three things that are different that would surprise us? Well, uh, social in Europe, I wish I could uh, put it down to three things, but, but what really matters is the the personality and the culture of each country, because some countries in Europe, as in uh, Italy and in Spain and France, are much more verbal uh-huh. and much more communicative, where the German and Austrian cultures, although they're still very strong with social media, tend to be a little bit more conservative and restrained. Mm. So that then filters over into their social media mm-hmm. use. So knowing that, how culture can affect the use of social media, it still is a very vibrant social media uh, community within the European uh, ecosystem there. But they, uh, there's a little bit more caution, I think, about how they use meaning more, a little bit more mm. conservative, but, mm. but not a lot. But when you think of it, though, one of the, um, see, Red Bull is always singled out as one of the strongest companies in their use of marketing and social media. Really? And Red, yeah, and, it, you know, they, because they don't really even promote the drink, they do events. Right, and they're very right. well known for that. That's their marketing yeah, decision yeah. and tactic that they use. But they are an Austrian company. Huh. So, okay. so this is why... This just in, everybody. Red Bull's an Austrian company. Sorry, thank you. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and so what's interesting about that is the, the perception, the self-perception of, oh, we don't really use social media or we're really more conservative. There's not necessarily complete truth in that because of the Red Bull example. But overall, there's a little bit more caution, a little bit more hesitancy about revealing anything that is going to um, compromise their privacy. But uh, And they are going, they're about, I would say, overall, uh, probably like five years behind the United States uh-huh. in our use of social media. But they're catching up. They the, catching well, up. internet years we know are, are 10x dog years, so are they 50 <laughs> years behind? 
<laughs> oh no, not at all. Okay. Uh, so no, they. Uh, I just. I didn't. I wasn't comparing it to the dog ears, but I really like that comparison. It's very. Well, I, I I talked to a friend of mine, a web dev, and he, you know, he says, "Well, those are internet years because we're, you know, uh, we're on one theme on our site." And he goes, "Oh yeah, that was the hot thing two years ago." And I said, "Okay, it's only two years ago." He says, "No, those are internet years, Mark." So, okay. Now that you mention that, then I would say they're probably three years behind us, two to three years. In, in I, I've got a, a question about the teaching, and and if uh, for my listener who's listening, uh, you may want to take notes because I'm going to be jumping around a lot because this topic there's so many threads. I'm really interested in the idea of adjunct teaching, and how you have uh, professionals have a day job, and then they. Um, have a relationship with a school. We've got nine universities and colleges here in the 805, and I know they're always looking for f- professionals like yourself. T- tell us what that's like as a kind of as a job and as a thing to do, not what you teach, but just that whole job. The process of being yeah. an educator yeah. or going well, from industry being, to being an educator. Yeah, that adjunct professor, because it's, it's something additional that you do and where do you find, A, where do you find the energy and the passion? But just tell us a little bit more about that. And I, where I'm going is I maybe we can inspire our listener to become an adjunct professor and go and share some of their knowledge with these future leaders. Well, I really like that, Mark, and I do appreciate being able to share this because um, if you, first of all, the path that I took is, it's just, first of all, doing what I really like to do, which is marketing and mm-hmm. um, and social media and some of the activities that I've gotten involved with and clients and so on. But it's connecting with a, a school, meaning one of the deans of the departments in the right. different universities near you, and just picking up the phone and asking if you can have a conversation with them. At least that was my experience. Uh, of Can we explore this idea that I have for a class to bring to your school and to your students? If it's something that is already given out there and is not necessarily something unique that you're bringing to the university, you're going to have a lot of competition as a potential adjunct, and they probably will say, you know, go to our website and and apply. Mm. But if you Mm. can really create a unique and contemporary and relevant niche and offering to the school and to the students, that is going to be much more powerful. It's kind of like basic marketing. How can you differentiate? How how can you add value? And so, uh, luckily, uh, with Dr. Gerhardt Haftaler, I had just finished re- writing a book for McGraw-Hill on mm. the subject of social media marketing. And I, I thought, you know, I, went, I live in Simi Valley there in Thousand Oaks. I mm. thought, well, this is mm. really nicely uh, geographically desirable. So, after driving into L.A. for so many years, I still do. And so he was open to my phone call about sitting down with him and bringing the relevancy of social media to their students. And he really liked the idea, and uh, we formulated a class because I was—I've been doing a lot of presentations and lectures to law firms and businesses and chambers of commerce. I had already worked with the Los Angeles Chamber of Commerce and educating their members on social media for business. So it just seemed like I had the material. Why not then create a sure. curriculum? So you—you would—I like this idea of. Um, the unique selling proposition, your unique value proposition, which, you know, old school marketing, what is that thing that makes you unique? There are 800 million, and that's probably not uh, an exaggeration, books on social media and social media for business. So when you approach that meeting and you were thinking about it and you knew, 
okay, I have a different lens that I'm looking through at this. What What is it that is unique about your point of view that got you that job? Well, I believe first two, a couple of things. Um, first, when I wrote the book, it was in 2010, so that was five years ago. And again, you talk about Internet light years. Right. Um, it, there, there weren't any books out there at the time that really explained why. I mean, um, and hmm. so McGraw-Hill looked at us and says, can you write a book for us? Because as McGraw-Hill and editors, like, we don't even know what's going on. We know that social media is happening, but why? Hmm. You know. Hmm. So we went into the, the thought process and the, um, the conversation in the book about what it is and why it's happening now. And, once, and it was designed for the C-suite because we found at that time people were talking about social media but they weren't at the at the decision level at the highest levels of corporations. We have this whole you know CEO and COO and CFOs who said, well, "What's going on? Do we need to think this is this a fad?" You know, so we really got into the nitty gritty of what it is and what it was. We can share that later on too, because there are a lot of uh, misconceptions. So with that approach, then we actually use case studies. Uh, uh, my co-author Beverly Macy, who's also from Xerox and an adjunct. We had uh, done an event over at Harvard University, we, and then I did a launch for the Audi, and I got them in their social media conversation for, for the Super Bowl. So we were doing these very active, real-life, real-time sort of case studies on our own and decided to pull all of that together. So when I – so the book – you look at the, the, uh, the environment now, you know, in 2015 – there, there have been a flood of books about social media, and my still unique situation is is that I have lived this. I have been through crisis management for major global brands, you know, and and I have worked in the entertainment field and so on. So I, I I bring my own my own life to the what I teach, and I think that's what the value is that the students get from it. The why is um, are you familiar with Simon Sinek's TEDx talk? Oh, absolutely, yes. So I, I love why, and so I, I wrote that down when you were saying, why did social happen? So in, in 2010, you were answering the question why. I'm curious, uh, what, wh- why? Why did social media become so hot? I have an idea of what it is, but I'd love to hear what you think that was that, what was that uh, defining moment that made it so relevant to us? We've, uh, there are three reasons, hmm. and the first the first reason is look at if we look at the economic landscape that was that started here in the United States and then flooded over to Europe and around the world. We had gone we had gone through the Great Recession starting yep. in around 2008, yep. 2009, and 2010. Yep. And I was seeing rumblings of something before it actually happened, and then it did occur. So we had the situation where. Budgets are being slashed. Mm. People are getting laid off. Mm. And the budgets that businesses and industries and government agencies actually had, they had to do more with less. Less, Absolutely. less budget, less people, right? Okay. With so more there, leverage, there, though, too, right? Absolutely. Yeah. And, yeah right. So what was happening is, is you have these budgets that have been slashed, and everybody's going, well, what can we do? We still have to get the word out there. We still mm. have to communicate. We still have to do our business. But what can we do when we don't have budgets for traditional advertising? Then what was happening, technology was starting to really uh, present itself in the way of, of social media use, but the use was by, and this is the other factor, digital natives. So we have right. free technology, 
Digital natives are those, for those who don't know, are those under the age of 35. I actually like this term better than millennials and so on because it really captures this behavior of that age group. And there is a, a divide in, in uh, technology awareness and, and skills under age 35 and over age 35. Oh, absolutely. So the, I'm you a, see that I'm as a well? digital immigrant. <laughs> okay, we'll see. And it's not to say that people over 35 have not embraced technology, but the digital native is also the fastest growing, and it is the largest now, uh, demographic in the world. They have outnumbered the baby boomer. I'm yeah. a baby boomer. Yeah. And in, in the U.S., there, there are about 90 million of them, and they create what is called the youth bulge around the world. Yep. It's, the, it's the highest age group in South America. India, China, and where the populations or the age group in um, Europe and Japan and the United States are shrinking in the baby boomer group, the um, digital native group is gaining traction and is bigger. So with this group, this digital native group, they have befriended and are very comfortable with technology. In fact, one of their self-definers is, well, we're the technology generation. Hmm. And, and by virtue of the social media that connects them around the world, they're all, they also happen to be the most college-educated generation ever and also the most well-world-traveled. So they don't see the world with borders. Another self-definer right. is, right. We're right. A bo- I'm a world citizen. Right. So they use, so in this process of this year, this whole mix of, or actually a couple of years where all this was happening, the why is because the budgets were slashed in business, technology, free technology was starting to be introduced and and used. Free looks good when you don't have any money. And and then then the digital natives are coming along and using this free technology and actually propelling those who are older to use these free technologies. Uh, Probably, I know it was the case with me, maybe the case with you, and I know with a lot of people over 35, if they didn't learn how to text, Yep. Their kids, yep. we're not going to talk to them. Yep. My uh, my grandmother-in-law, I think that's a term, uh, we FaceTime with her, you know, and she has a computer just for that. And they, the, what's interesting is the tail end of the older end of the boomers have gotten technology so they can stay connected with the kids and they can be more connected than they ever were before. So... I, I let that why explained it really well. I was going to suggest that it was the it was the iPhone. I don't think there was a singular thing, but that kind of changed everything, didn't it? Well, we're looking at technology still because the the, the iPhone is one piece. But what happens in uh, social media, and I'll explain. Social media really is defined as free uh, digital. Uh, platforms that support conversation in a community. And they just happen to be called Facebook. They happen to be called Twitter. And these applications that are on smartphones are tools for communication. And that's where social media can be told, because I deal with this all the time, it's like, oh, social media is awful, it's bad, you know. But would Mm. you call a phone bad or a television bad? You know, it's really about the conversation and the content that takes place. And with social media and within the Facebook uh, communication platform, the conversation can be very fun and positive and informative and newsworthy, or it can be terrible. But it really doesn't mean that the tool itself is bad. It's the conversation. So the conversation is separate from the tool. It's separate from the path. So, I mean, I'm, um, the iPhone is a, is a tool 
to have these apps like Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and so on on that tool so people can use it. So it certainly made a difference in all of our communication because of the phone and the nature that it merged, the fact that it merged computers or technology and the Internet with a phone so elegantly. Other other phones had tried to do it, but not the way that the iPhone did. But um, before, when the iPhone was starting to be developed, we looked at, you know, Facebook was started in 2004, sure. MySpace, part, yeah, MySpace in 2003. So these things were happening. What would Marshall McLuhan say now? Because it's not the <laughs> medium. Medi- the medium is not the message. What would he say? Well, um, you know, I I know that he has been quoted so much, but I was always one of those who kind of questioned, his, you know, his thought. Yeah, that's and, what I'm saying. I agree. <laughs> okay, so I don't. Um, I think they're merging probably more uh, because people identify. Um, activity with the actual message. For instance, I'm going to give an example. YouTube. YouTube is a video sharing site. But a lot of people, and I deal, this is one of the things we talked about adjuncts earlier, and what I, why I love what I do as a marketer and also as an adjunct professor teaching social media strategy. But I also gain information from the students, so it's a very enriching sort of circular relationship that I have with them. But we find that People like 18 and younger, particularly 15 and 14 years old and younger, do not identify YouTube as a social media site. They identify it as a network. YouTube is a, is a place where I watch videos. Yep. They don't think it's social media. So I think in that case, we're starting to see the medium is the message in that particular mm-hmm. case. Mm-hmm. Different questions. So marketing, uh, advertising, uh, that your background there, you said this is about conversations with a community. The interesting thing about ads is they're exhale only. Um, they're just, they're, they don't, there's no conversation built into that. Whereas these alternate ways of reaching out to audiences encourage a conversation. Do you think that possibly, and I, I know advertising is trying to, you know, that whole world is upside down now. Do you think that Um, we've actually inadvertently backed into a better way to have a connection with our customers? Oh, absolutely. Because, Mark, I think it's about the truth, Um, and that's a very very big part of social media. And when it comes to business, it's about being truthful with your, whether you're B2B or B2C, because um, we, as businesses, especially if you're consumer-facing, it's like, okay, how can we do our business better? Uh, there's that old suggestion box, remember? Mm. Uh, put in a, a message or put in a card if we can do our business better. But did, did businesses really want to know what they were doing wrong? And I know how, much, how many people really paid attention to the letters that were sent to them or to suggestions. When well, a situation with social media where the consumer is then defining the brand or actually are you true to your brand promise or not, then there really is no place that a, a company or a brand can hide. They have to be uh, always looking at the what, how they can be better doing business, better in their relationships with customers. Are they true in their services that they can deliver to businesses in a B2B environment? Because if they're not, they'll get called out on social media. And in in so about really, 30 seconds. <laughs> yes, in real time, actually. Oh, yeah, yeah, right. Time. Yeah. So, so, so the, it really. I'm sorry. Okay. I'm. Yeah. You're touching on this crisis management thing that you were talking about earlier. So if someone, you know, they have a bad experience at the United counter or they get a bad meal, 
they're on it, you know, the digital native is on that instantly. What do you do in terms of crisis management then in that regard? Well, there are a couple of rules for crisis management. First of all, the first rule of social media is if you're a business, or even, and I'm talking about brands, whether you're self-mark as a brand, me as a brand, or if you are a, a fast food company as a brand. Okay. Sure. The first rule. The critical, yeah, the critical issue is to listen in social media. I mean, social media is not a trend. It's not a fad. It is a business process now. And it's the way people communicate. So the first thing is for companies to listen to see if there is. And by listening, we mean going into Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and the search bar that is in within those social media sites and just entering in their brand mm-hmm. name or their industry to see if there is a conversation going on. And then it's to determine and assess if that conversation is positive, negative, or neutral. If it's positive, that's great. What's working, what's resonating in that conversation. If it's negative, let's see what they're talking about. And if there is, in case, let's say for an example of of someone who had a a poor experience with a product that broke or something, and uh, and they're talking about it on, on Twitter, let's say, for example, then it would be the company's responsibility to then reach out and say, oh, we're in this kind of standard sort of reply, but it's necessary. Oh, we're sorry you had that experience. We want to learn more about it. No, please contact me. Either they can, either they can reply to that person through the open social media to create an answer or a solution, or if it's more difficult or if there's ranting going on, because that can happen too, sure. they can put a link to an email that's just specifically designed for handling customer complaints through social media. But the what is key about this is that if the response or the note or the acknowledgement of a problem is coming from the company in a social sphere, then everybody else who's following that brand or sees that response realizes, oh, they're listening. Right, right. And that, that is important now because what's happening and what is compelling, a, a compelling reason why businesses need to be on social media that is relevant to them. You don't have to be everywhere. I tell everybody, although Facebook's the biggest social side in the world, it doesn't mean you have to be there. It really depends on what your business is and your goals and priorities are. But if you have a social presence, now people are looking at social media as the way they look at websites to validate a business. Are you a credible business? The question is, you know, if you don't have a website, are you really a business? So now it's like you don't have a social media profile. Uh, I want to see what people are saying about you. And that's why and what it's you've so said. important. Yes, yes. So that's why it comes into play. So, uh, uh, so the person who's listening right now is probably a small business owner. Uh, we've got listeners all over the world, but they tend to—they're not just entrepreneurs, but they're—they've got a business and they're—they're they're thinking about this. We we talk about social media a lot. I love that my hashtag for the day is we're listening. There are, and you talked about sentiment. There are platforms that will allow you to kind of monitor your brand across all the platforms. A simple thing is just to set up a Google alert for your business, right? And you'll, you'll see that. Is there a, um, an easy-to-use listening platform that you like to recommend to businesses? Because I'm also thinking this listener 
has got 800 things to do today. And, you know, listening is can be a real time suck. So it's nice to have one of these platforms that kind of pushes alerts to you when things are going on. Is there one of those that you like that we might tell our listener about? Yes, Hootsuite, like an mm. owl, H-O-O-T-S-U-I-T-E. Maybe you're familiar with that, I am. probably. Sure. sure. Yeah, that's a pretty easy one for a small business owner to set up, and there are three profiles that you can add that are free. They yep. used to have more that were free, but now they they're you know, starting to charge, like some of, a lot of other companies sure. as they grow and they scale. But I said, I'd say that's a first step. Okay, I love that. That's uh, I want to. We we like um, the, this is informational and inspirational. So I want to inspire people. I want to go we'll go back to the crisis management. You said there were two things. So the first one was to listen. What's the second one? Well, after listening, then it's well, it's acknowledging the issue or the problem, right? right. So, because people want to know that they're being heard. I don't know about yourself, but I know when I've been in a situation where I've had a I've complained about something, and someone just listened to me, and I thought, well, okay, maybe they can't do anything, but at least they they heard my situation. So it's listening for any potential problems, acknowledging that that it existed, and then thirdly, it's either uh, following up with a recommendation and a solution, if you can do that. And the other part that's also part of this third part is seeing, and this is, if, if um, there is a problem, let's say, with incorrect information going on about your company, let's say someone mm-hmm. started a rumor mm-hmm. and what they're saying is false, then this has to do with the reputation management right, system right, right, right. of putting out correct information and then pushing down in search, search engine optimization, because social media is searched by Google yep, yep. algorithms and so on. So you keep putting out the correct information, kind of flooding it, out there so that you can push down the negative because it stays it's still going to still going to stay on the internet but you need to be able to push it down is to then make sure you have a a plan of of correct information so that that'll be more dominant when people google your company or the the name or the situation and you're going to be able to be able to say this is actually the correct information and you can circumvent some of the negative um, uh, press or negative reactions to the untrue information. Terry, let's let's talk about immediacy for a second. I'm I'm curious about like when something happens, there's this twitch reflex that we've gotten as a culture. And I'm curious how you counsel leadership to react because one would be you know, be thoughtful, we want to think about it, what's our position, what are our talking points and you you do that or you just do a, hey, we heard you, we're sorry, we're on it. There's two sides of the spectrum. What do you think, I'm thinking of the CEO now, what does the CEO do when it feels like there's a storm has just hit, do they, and do they freak out? How do you get them to not freak out and do something? Well, you know, this is, the two go together, and that's why this has been, the social media world has been such a, a shift in how we normally do things as businesses. Right. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. And, and that's why my peers, you know, a lot of them have not made that adjustment, but uh, because it's just too much of a stretch. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but what happens in a case like this that you're mentioning, what should happen in the background is that the company should have, I advise everybody to do this, but most companies don't do this, small or large, <laughs> is, have, is have a crisis management policy set up. Ah. Uh, 
beforehand, before a crisis happens, which means, okay, who's going to be accountable if something blows up, um, and how are we going to speak to our internal public, our employees, our stakeholders, and how are we going to respond to the public, okay, at, at large. So once you know who's responsible for what, because in chaos and in crisis, right. things get nutty, right? Okay, but if at least you have a little bit of a guideline, at least you know who to talk to first. Because that is set into place, then the, the part, and I deal with this with, like, with luxury brands as well, it's like, let's listen first. The reaction right. that mm-hmm. happens is in the public sphere, in right. the open sphere. And you can't take and it back. Room, <laughs> yeah, they, they're going to go ahead and react no matter what. But as a business, it's as much as I said before about how it's so important for businesses to really be honest and true about listening to the customer and improving their businesses the way they say they want to, well, then it's, it, the business itself and the brand needs to be thoughtful because it can be devastating if sure. they react because other people are reacting. That's not going to work for a business. So the, even if it takes a little bit of time to, to be the first to put out a, a, some sort of comment, right. but the comment needs to be done in a thoughtful manner. But the, everybody else can be running around crazy with their head cut off, cut off like a chicken with their head cut off, but it's um, in tweeting and posting whatever they want. But the business really has to take their time and respond thoughtfully. You've brought up something I'd not considered before. I'm a, I'm a Boy Scout, and so be prepared is one of my tattoos. And uh, you have suggested that we have a crisis management plan, and I'd never considered that. And when we're calm, sitting down and thinking about what we would do seems like such an, I mean, it's, we call it a blinding glimpse of the obvious but I'd never considered it. So everybody take a note right now. Do you have one? And I'm going to say probably 100% of us don't. So we should have one. And it, it makes me think of that 50s film, Duck and Cover. So, um, you know, because that was being prepared for a nuclear attack. So um, now how do I prepare for a, a Twitter storm or, you know, bad or good um, is probably bad in terms of a crisis. So what would, if we were to, Give the assignment right now to our listener to uh, develop a crisis management policy, or you, you said it was who and how, and what else would you say? Like who's in charge of it, how they want to do it, what's the tone of voice? What else would be on that plan? Oh, let's see. Well, do you? Would, I have a whole policy that I put together for you some do. Of my clients. So, so let me let me think about that. And it's different for everybody because there are nonprofit organizations right, that have right, their right. process, and then there are businesses. And, and some of the the policies or procedures are literally anywhere from uh, two or three pages to forty five pages. <laughs> but essentially, what it is, it's about um, okay. What if an, if a crisis occurs? Who are the people who need to be notified first, you know? And then it's uh, then uh, gathering to discuss it internally, usually. Uh, then it would be, uh, what is that message going to say? So everybody agrees on the same line, no matter, for instance, if, you, if it's a luxury hotel, and this happens in Los Angeles and all over, let's say a celebrity passes away in the hotel. Hmm. Okay, hmm. so you're dealing with the people who are in the hotel and the people outside the hotel and then the press and the media outside the hotel, too, right? So you have a situation where everybody within that hotel needs to know ahead of time, but re, re, um, 
reinforced and reviewed what they're supposed to say to the guests inside the hotel or somebody who asks them who comes in from the outside. And then the, that then the policy also earmarks who's the person who's going to make the public statement and how often are they going to update the public who's going to want to know more of what's going on. And that's the social so that, piece of it. Yeah, and that's, and that's where everybody needs to be in agreement. Everybody needs to know what the policy and the line is and what information they have. Internal people, who internally needs to get updated or not, and who externally needs to get updated in the frequency of that. And then to monitor the conversation. So, and by monitoring, again, the social listening. listening, listening yeah. yeah. What I'd, I would love it, Terry, if, um, if there was a, a pointer that you could send me, and I'll put it in the show notes about that. So I would like to now, I want to go over to the, you talk to CEOs and CFOs and, and leaders. Um, I do that in, in my business um, where we create, you know, we've got a platform that helps people connect to one another. That's what 805 Connect is built on. So I'm having these conversations all of the time. And the best practice is, is that the leadership of the company is involved in the conversation. And that is, that is so difficult to get them to understand why that's important because they all feel they're too busy and it's, I don't know that it's beneath them, but they're, they're really too busy. Yet we find the leading Republican presidential candidate makes time to tweet and it's kind of staggering the effect that that's happening. How, what have you found is that the argument that moves the CEO over to the, yeah, this is something I need to be paying attention to and taking participation in. And Mark, it's so funny that you would use the word moved because I, I get, I encounter this all the time. I know, I know. And the, re- and the reason I, I um, clicked on the word move is because I have literally been in a meeting where I have been across a person at a conference table and the person started with their their body language was sitting back, arms crossed in front of the chest. And after I went through the process of explaining the why and why it's important mm-hmm. um, and what's happening now, the person leaned over, arms on the desk, and said, I want to get started. Mm. So I, I really do think that the primary issue, because we are looking at, at that over 35 right. demographic the for immigrant. the most part. Yeah. yeah. So what I do is explain what what's happening now. Because I don't know about you, but I know I feel better if I understand what's going on. You know, tell me what's happening. What is this? What's, what's this all about, really? And then, then I'll decide whether I need to be involved with this or listen or not. So I, there still is this conception or misconception, and to some part, to some degree, of that, okay, social media is still used to put pictures of your cats and of your food. Well, that's partly true, but it also is, as we know, is a critical communication tool yeah. for the world consumer. And, and I use this phrase, and I explained it this way many, many times And in the beginning of my meetings with CEOs, is that history has shown us that when new communication channels or tools are introduced that bring information and knowledge to people who didn't have it before, that could be movable type, it could be the telephone, the telegraph, when we, these are introduced and people get um, information and, and education that they didn't have before, then great societal shifts occur. Because once people get knowledge and information, it changes their world. 
And, and this is what we have with the Internet, and it's being shared in social media. And we've only seen the tip of the iceberg it's just uh, right now, what's yeah. happening. And, and when people start understanding that concept and start thinking, okay, then maybe it's starting to make more sense. The other part of this is fear. A lot of reasons fear. that... Uh, yeah, huge fear. And the way I address that is, and this is true, is that, okay, CEO... You know, I can understand why you wouldn't want to get involved because the fear is, what are they going to say about me? There is no way I can control the, the criticisms, the negative uh, commenting, the ranting. It's just too crazy out there. But the fact of the matter is, I said, you know what? Again, about acknowledgement, you are right. You cannot control the conversation. Right. There is fear. But what you can do is you can manage the conversation. Because by managing the conversation means having a strategy where you are listening and you are contributing the conversation in the correct brand information. You're engaging with the people who are the influencers in your world, in your industry, and you are learning from each other and getting into a dialogue. But managing that conversation means a commitment of being participating in certain strategic social media sites, right. not all of them. So it's acknowledging, yeah, you're right, it's, there's pretty scary out there and you can't control it, but you can manage it. And believe me, you better manage the conversation because if you don't, someone else can run away with it and be speaking incorrectly about your brand or your, your industry or your product. So, so, so that kind of gets them into the, and I hope this helps your listeners, into the perspective of maybe I better at least consider this. The other aspect that I share, if I may jump in with this mark again, is that I also tell people, you know what, if you are so concerned about the fear and, and getting involved and the time and everything else involved with, with starting social media on your own, if you never tweet, if you never post on Facebook, at least make profiles and they can be private so you can get into these communities and listen to the conversation about your competitors, hmm. about the industry. Use them as a research tool because your competitors are out there and there is a conversation about your industry whether you're participating or right, not. Right. But one of the things that I think is absolutely fantastic about social media that I didn't have when I was working with the entertainment industries, we had to pay millions of dollars for research. You right. get research for right. free. Right. Right. And, that, and for a small business, that's that's really a game changer. You get free information, free polls, surveys, uh, you do your own focus groups. That's really amazing. It, it, it absolutely is. Um, how do you, you know, gosh, I, lots of questions, but, but back to the leadership, because they're the ones that make the decision. The CF, talking about the CFO. So the money and time spent on paying attention to social they, the person who's writing the check, they're going to ask, well, where's my ROI on this? And what's the ROI on reputation management and ROI on, you know, uh, measuring sentiment in the community? How do you, you've got to address that, but I don't think there's a clear, hard, solid lined ROI. It's more of a dotted one. Does, does that come up and how do you address it? Okay, there are two... Um areas of return on investment, there are some very actionable and measurable, directly measurable successes and returns on investment for social media activity. I mean, I, I can give you an example of one, but the whole idea of, of social media is return on ignoring, we like to call Ooh. it that. Ooh. Oh. 
I love that. <laughs> because, yeah, because, and also there's the commitment. I can tell you, let me just tell you why, when social media does not work, okay? Social media does not work when a brand or a company, and I'm talking about, it can be a small company, it can be an accounting company with a, with a you know, a head count of one, or it could be sure. a larger law firm. But if the company is not willing to commit over the long haul, it will not work. And this is true of other marketing methods, too, because some people say, well, I did direct mail, but it didn't work. Well, where did you send it? Well, not very many people. Well, maybe that's why it didn't work. It's the same thing with social media. I started it for a month or two months, and it didn't work. You have to give these things time to gain traction and to be able and execute the plan correctly about the conversation. Yes. So there's, again, thought planning that has to go into it. So if it's a brand that doesn't want to commit, that's not going to work. If it's a brand that doesn't know who it is, I have an example. Unfortunately, it was of an entertainment individual who was uh, had been performing in one particular category of, of music and then wanted to rebrand herself and going into another category and brought me in to rebrand herself into the other category of music, but didn't actually do that. All of her music was still in that old category. It's huh. so like, well, you're not really doing what you say you want to do. So mm-hmm. it was not successful because she was not following through on her own branding um, execution. So if you don't know who you are, if you don't know, uh, if you can't commit, those two things are not going to be good for you. And if you don't have, if you're not going to participate in the success of the of the uh, social media activity itself, that's not going to work either. You can't just completely throw it away to somebody and say, you do it, because they still have questions they have to ask you about brand accuracy, message accuracy, uh, to make sure that it's reflecting the voice of your company, because social media is a voice. It's the persona, we call it personality, the persona of your brand in a social conversation. So uh, that is one of the biggest problems that I see as well, even with major global corporations that have been using social media for a long time now, if you ask them, what's your persona, they kind of look at you like, what do you mean? You know, it's, it's, it's the conversation. Um, an example is, if you said, what is the persona of, of Apple, you get an idea of the personality, sure. the brand personality. Picture right? immediately comes to mind. Exactly. And if it's a, and it's a person, I mean, like a Cal Lutheran student, you know, um, but if you say, what's the persona of Samsung? I mean, they make great products, and some of the features, I think, are better than the iPhone in some cases. But what's the persona of Samsung? You can't identify it. Mm. So, mm. so those things all come into play. But in return, return on investment, direct measurement, that is possible um, because if you are using your communication through social media to drive, let's say, um, customers or foot traffic into a business, then you can do a very simple exit survey that asks, well, how did you find out about this particular offering? Did you find out about it on social? And then if they, those who say they did find out about it on social media, or if you have some way of asking that question or, or tracking, then you can see the conversion rate of the transactions based on hearing about it through social media. That's a very simple way to describe it. That uh, you know, deeper case studies on that. But there is a direct. You can directly measure conversation and conversion. We had a conversation. Uh, we had an episode with Christopher Foley, and he was talking about a client who said, you know, she was tasked with getting. I know I, I, my number's probably wrong, but it was something like, I've got to get 8,000 likes on our Facebook page. And so she was hiring him to do that. 
and the why do you need eight thousand? I mean, wh- why are likes so important on Facebook? And and he pretty much, I think he can, made a convincing argument to us that they didn't mean anything at all. It didn't drive the needle at all. What's your take on that? You know, someone who says my social strategy is going to be Facebook. Have you found things that actually work there? On Facebook? Yeah. Oh, oh yeah. Oh, yes. Um, first of all, those numbers, when you say how many likes you have and how many followers and so on, right. those are called van- vanity metrics. Uh, and is there any value to them? Um, not to the degree that people or some businesses think they have to have a certain number to be successful because it's not about quantity. It's about quality. Hmm. I'd much rather have uh, people, who, if, even if it's a smaller community, but have them be your rabid fans and customers and people who are really engaged in uh, with your with your brand and your business. And for instance, it's, I think it's a, a standard sort of measurement that we have is that usually uh, 20% of your customers drive 80% of your business. Correct. Well, with, with social media engagement, we're finding that that number, that 20% is going higher. Huh? And the reason the reason for that is is that sixty five percent of people who follow a brand, I think actually now I think with the Pew Research, I think it's more like seventy five percent of the people who follow a brand on Twitter are more likely to buy from that brand, and they're looking to, they they're following the brand because they want to hear about new developments, new product, special offers, couponing, and right, so on. Right. So so what you have then in social media is a potent community. So it doesn't have to be big. It's just as long mm. as you're really addressing the needs and the wants of those customers in traditional marketing, traditional business, that 20%, growing that to 40 and 60% because you know that they are there and they're going to be your advocate, your brand advocate, and will be doing business with you. So, again, quant- quality over quantity. I think that's a, a perfect message to leave our listener with. Um, we talk about super listeners, and it doesn't matter how many downloads it, do we have that one or two people that actually share the episodes and take action, and it actually makes a difference. And I love that quality over quantity. Terry, thank you so much for spending time with us today. Um, where can people uh, learn more about what you do and um, how you might be able to help them? Well, you know, um, it's kind of interesting because I'm, I am a social media person and I just rely on LinkedIn okay. to be sure. where I am reachable. Uh, and I know if you don't have a LinkedIn profile of your business, I encourage you to do that because that's where you, the world of decision-making takes place and it's a very valuable community. So if a person does not have a, a LinkedIn profile, I can give you my email based on my company. I'm glad to share that here. And that would be T-E-R-I dot Thompson, T-H-O-M-P-S-O-N, so Terry dot Thompson at Rocky Peak, R-O-C-K-Y, P-E-A-K dot com. Since I am in Simi Valley, I am in the Rocky Peak Mountain area, so that's why I have that for my company name. And so it's Terry dot Thompson at Rocky Peak dot com. I love that. Terry, thank you so much. And uh, one of the things we do on the show uh, is we uh, give you the opportunity to name this episode. We know that a compelling name when someone is new and they're looking at a list of, you know, we've over 30 episodes now, that title is going to grab them. What do you think the title of this conversation should be? 
Well, okay. I think that um, let's let's think about that one because we did touch on a lot of different uh, elements of social media. Um, social media, the real time, real story. I'll be kind of fluffy with that, but I think it's we really wanted to get into the actual nature of what it is. Real time, the real story. I love that. That is uh, that's. Very good. Uh, I uh, will let you know that everybody struggles with that for about 14 seconds, and then it, and then it hits them, especially with our marketers. So, uh, again, thank you very, very much. And I also want to thank, again, California Lutheran University School of Management and Tolman and & Weicker Insurance Services and our podcasting partner, Polestring Press, for this great studio, and Cielo24, who provides the searchable captions for our show. The 805 Connect Project is supported by partners and sponsors throughout the region. We want to thank them as well. More information on our partners at 805connect.com. Now, we can use your support, the, the person who's listening right now. So we'd love you to give us a review on iTunes. That makes a huge difference. Give us a ranking. If you want to leave a comment, we read all of them. Uh, if you wish, I'd love to hear from you personally. So you could send me a note to uh, mark at 805connect.com, but I have it set up so you can actually send it to any word at 805connect.com and it will get to me. So if you don't know how to spell my name with a K, it doesn't matter. So until next time, this is Mark Sylvester, your host for 805 Conversations. Mm-hmm.